when I think about healthcare and you know what what are the trends, um, it's really all about technology. And so, you know, when you think about telehealth, it's technology based. When you think about, um, you know, having this using digitalization or technology to create a seamless end to end experience for not only consumers, but also for patients. Welcome to Creating Healthier Futures, a new podcast from Allegis. I'm Brian Colburn. And I'm Anna Lyons. In this series, we'll reveal the state of healthcare consumerism through trends and research, our own data, and the health benefit experts that are driving our industry forward. In each episode, we'll uncover the technologies and opportunities that are helping save consumers money as they navigate the U.S. healthcare system with ideas you can put to work in your business, benefit plans, or life. To download the materials discussed in this episode or learn more on the topic, be sure to visit Allegis.com. That's A-L-E-G-E-U-S.com. Thanks for tuning in. In today's conversation, we examine the state of healthcare consumerism in the midst of COVID-19 in an economic recession. Since mid-March, millions of Americans have lost their jobs, hundreds of thousands of businesses have had to shut their doors temporarily or for good, and many employers swiftly enacted cost-cutting measures. From a consumer standpoint, healthcare spending dropped 50% from its average, and even more for certain subcategories within healthcare. We spoke with Josh Collins, president at New Synergy, and Maria Losi from MasterCard to understand the impact to employer groups and healthcare consumers. Hi, I'm Josh Collins, president of New Synergy. We are headquartered in Kansas with sales and service offices in Phoenix, Idaho, and Florida. New Synergy really is a nationwide benefits administrator with a focus on health savings accounts, health reimbursement arrangements, flexible spending accounts, COBRA administration, as well as combined billing and direct billing solutions. Hi, I'm Maria Loisi, and I'm with MasterCard, and I head up business development in the U.S. for commercial payments, commercial acceptance, the, con- the consumer-directed healthcare, as well as payer-to-provider in healthcare, and we launched a new practice last year called MasterCard Healthcare Solutions. It's great. Thank you to both of you guys for sharing that. Um, so one of the bright spots for me in this, this sort of COVID reality has been getting to interact with people kind of in their home environment, which I think makes it a little bit more personal. Um, I've got four young kids and a, and a puppy. So most of my meetings don't go according to scripts. Uh, to that end, are there sort of any fun work from home blunders that either of you would, would like to share? <laughs> uh, no blunders on my side, other than we did have the wife of one of our sales managers completely narc on him uh, and send me an email of, of him during a Skype call where he has very well dressed, uh, but it stops at the waist. Uh, <laughs> and, and he looked, it was it was one of those perfect side shots where you have him sitting in his chair standing you know sitting straight up computer and then it's shorts and then jacket and nice shirt pressed it was it was really funny but he, <laughs> he was not too happy that 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 picture got sent out no <laughs> and i i have to say i don't have uh children i don't have puppies um but i have a plumber so this particular day, my <laughs> husband and I were both working at home and there was coincidentally, we both had a two hour 
um, window where we were either both presenting or we had we couldn't be on mute on our calls because we were leading a call. And just as, so we decided we were gonna be in separate rooms so we couldn't hear each other. And just as we were about to start, the doorbell rings and it's the plumber who we've been waiting for for days. He decides to show up. And so of course, we're trying to tell him very quickly what the issues were. And he realized that in order for him to figure out what the plumbing problem was, it required for him to flush all the toilets in our home constantly. And then when he thought he finished, fixed the problems, he went about flushing again, all of the toilets. So I'll leave that and you can figure out what that experience was <laughs> while we're on Zoom calls and put me on mute. That's funny. The pandemic has certainly affected us in a myriad of ways, some humorous like Marie's plumber, but many more serious. When COVID first hit last spring, it upended the healthcare industry from top to bottom, including the health benefits and spending space. Um, so Marie, MasterCard sits at a really interesting intersection of payments and healthcare. And as you described your role, I would say that's that's equally true. Um, and, and I guess the third area is, is consumerism in general. So what are you guys seeing today? And have there been any big surprises from the start of COVID to where we are today? Early on, it was very, very hard to predict where consumer spending was going to go. Um, and early on, no surprise there, right? We saw consumer, I'll, I'll break it out into what consumers uh, spent on and then how they spent and so early on, it was really about the necessities. It, we saw in significant spending in drugstores, groceries, and merchants that sold those things. Um, as time went on, and I can speak for myself, uh, got tired of cooking, and we started to see transactions in restaurants re relative to takeout and delivery type of spend. We also started to see a significant um, lift in spend and home improvement. Uh, people are sheltering in place, looking for things to do. There were a lot of do-it-yourselfers that emerged as a result of this. The home became the center of family entertainment. We started to see a spike in televisions uh, and electronics to whether it's supporting online shopping with iPads, uh, smart TVs. Um, so we saw that as well. And then more recently, as the season started to change and move into spring and summer, there were a lot of sales, online sales with retail. So we started to see apparel uh, spend going up and then um, people taking some trips, road trips. Uh, most recently, we did a, a, a survey on um, consumer spending going forward. And this idea of revenge spending has emerged. And so basically there's a pent up demand. People were not spending, they did not go on trips, they did not make normal purchases. And so the number one revenge spend is going to be travel. Um, and people are going, whatever trips that they had planned that were canceled, what they're saying is that they're gonna do it and they're gonna do it bigger and better, um, which is interesting. When we think about how they're spending in our world, um, we look at it, there's card not present. So we looked at card not present sword, and that was no surprise. People were using and shopping online and you saw the numbers with Amazon. Um, and there were a lot of firsts, people for the first time 
um, making an online purchase, accessing an app that they've never done before. So all of a sudden technology became on the forefront of spending and how people spent. As the economy started to open, we moved to what we call face-to-face transactions. And suddenly cash was the worst thing that you can possibly use. Merchants didn't want to accept it. People did not want to use cash. So this whole idea of contactless absolutely emerged. So, you know, what they spent was no surprise. um, And how they're doing it uh, really drives the fact that technology and digitalization has really, really accelerated in the consumer experience of shopping. Marie touched on two important trends. First, what she calls revenge spending, where consumers who have experienced a period of restricted spending are now returning to previous activities, like dining out or taking a vacation, and doing them bigger and better. She also touched on the shift to contactless payment. Um, On the contactless payment point, what is MasterCard's perspective in terms of how much of that sticks around post COVID? Is that something that sort of once that bell is rung, consumers typically would stick with something like that? Or will there be sort of a regression back to older technology uh, to save costs if that's a factor? Yeah, our expectation is that most of it will remain. We will continue to see the use of contactless contactless, uh, card payments, digital wallets, um, the increase of online spend. Now, in the early days of COVID, almost 100% of spend was online. We're not going to see that. Some will stay. We will continue. It will revert back to to bricks and mortar and face-to-face transactions. But there will be a lingering effect of what we call card not present transactions or online transactions. But the idea of this digital experience, this contactless experience uh, in face-to-face will, will absolutely remain. That is our expectation. Allegis recently released its first monthly COVID recovery index to get a sense of how the consumer-directed healthcare industry has fared, as well as where it might go from here. I asked Josh to weigh in on what trends he's seen in healthcare spending over the last few months. Well, it's been pretty interesting. When we went back and looked at our block, the the debit card spend was relatively flat compared to last year. I mean, we didn't see any huge drop off or any huge spike. um, And that was honestly a little bit against what we thought was going to be the case based on what we're hearing uh, from spending trends. But then we went and looked at regionally. Um, where our clients were located and where some of that spending was occurring. And we've got large pockets throughout the country, either West Coast, East Coast, or Midwest. And certainly some of our um, Northwest areas um, maintained their spend along with the Midwest. And then on markets where you would, you know, you've heard where there are uh, high uh, pockets of COVID where the shutdown has continued to be maintained, California, Arizona, uh, parts of Texas, Florida, New York, uh, the Northeast, we've seen, we did see a drop off in some of those spins. So you could see a correlation between, you know, historically where you see, you know, maybe they can't get care or maybe there's an added sense of um, concern to go in and getting care. We did see that impact. But even more so, what was interesting was we saw a huge spike in manual claims, which 
for us, manual claims tend to be sometimes your larger ticket items. There's no, you know, that's your hospital visit or, or some type of service where you don't necessarily use a debit card right then and there. You get a bill later on after the fact. And in June, we processed almost 300% more manual claims than we did in June of last year of 2019. And we processed, I mean, it was almost next to no manual claims in April and May. And I think that's maybe twofold. One, people aren't in the office, so maybe they don't have the means to submit manual claims as easily as they normally might. But then two, I think, as you would expect, a number of doctor's offices, hospitals doing a really good job of making people feel comfortable trying to get back and get the procedures taken care of. And you're seeing, you know, the I don't know that I call it revenge spend, but <laughs> they are they're going and 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 uh, getting the procedures taken care of that you know maybe have been put off for the last several months. It's very helpful. As you think about um, your book itself, and you think about uh, employment levels. Any, anything interesting that you've seen there um, since COVID? Well, we. Uh, when we look at our block and we, we did a, a big analysis along with Allegis of our block back in March when everything came down to see really what the impact might be based on where you're seeing the, the layoffs, uh, the layoff trends. And, and our block, thankfully, is not really heavy in the service industry business. So uh, by and large, um, we haven't seen a ton of furloughs or a ton of drop offs on that side. However, um, what we are starting to see, interestingly enough, is as rate renewals are coming out and groups are starting to get 30 and 40% rate increases from their carriers, we are getting a lot of calls um, to either look at different plan designs from an HSA or an HRA standpoint, and then some honestly moving moving away from your standard benefits altogether and looking at your ICRAs as an example or PEO models, um, depending on what those rate increases come in at. And from an ICRA perspective on that one, because that's unique, how much of that do you think happens in 2021 versus uh, it, it really becomes socialized in this first year and then there's uptick on it in subsequent years? Seems to be the million dollar question. Yeah, I, I think there's still some hesitation where we've seen the 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 adoption come in from an ICRA standpoint has really been more around the startup arena, um, where by and large, their average population is under 35, um, not necessarily what you would think of stereotypical, you know, entrenched family um, scenarios with kids. Um, but I, they've still been on the, the, um, the outlier, if you will, from a plan standpoint. So I, I think given the economics this may be one of those um, catalysts that really pushes the ICRA maybe maybe more mainstream um, and, and allows employers to feel more comfortable pushing it out there. I think a lot of times it takes big economic downturns like this to allow employers to feel confident about making those big changes. I mean, the HSA uh, went through that in, in 06, 07, and 09 when you had the big economic downturns. And, you know, oftentimes you need a catalyst uh, like that to really give employ empower the employers to make those big budgetary changes to their plans. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's similar to what we talked about with contactless payments, certainly similar to what we've seen in telehealth, where there has been this catalyst that has driven pretty dramatic change. 
Allegis deployed surveys to get a pulse on how consumers are returning to healthcare. In one, we asked if people are ready and willing to re-engage with their healthcare, and 75% said that yes, they are somewhat comfortable or very comfortable going in person to healthcare appointments. Data from the Allegis platform seems to confirm this. After an initial 50% drop in consumer healthcare spending in mid-March due to COVID shutdowns, spending levels stabilized and then steadily increased. Spending at the end of the summer reached 70 to 75% of pre-COVID levels. But even as we're seeing people get back into healthcare, it should be no surprise that the experience has changed. Here's Marie on how COVID has served as a catalyst to speed the adoption of other changes or advancements in the industry. When I think about healthcare and you know what, what are the trends, um, it's really all about technology. And so, you know, when you think about telehealth, it's technology based. When you think about um, you know, having this using digitalization or technology to create a seamless end-to-end experience for not only consumers, but also for patients. So it's really about thinking for HSAs and FSA cards, you don't want when they have to pull that out to be a manual process, right? Where they feel that this is an inconvenience. So it's about thinking about enabling those cards to be part of the digital wallets, the Apple Pays, the Samsung Pays, so that the healthcare payment experience is just as secure and simplified as it is as a consumer. Technology and healthcare has exploded during the pandemic, both out of necessity and convenience. Specifically, 40% of consumers would like their healthcare provider to offer telehealth services, and 22% expect their employer to offer more support and tools to guide healthcare spending and saving decisions. I asked Marie what she sees from consumers going forward. I think, first of all, COVID, um, whether or not you were impacted by it physically, you know, um, creates this idea for people, we're all vulnerable. And, and it can happen to any one of us. So the first thing is you're much more aware of your, your health, your personal hygiene, and you're also aware of what you have in terms of healthcare insurance. Um, so I think, you know, open enrollment could, could be different this year because all of a sudden now uh, people are gonna be a, a lot more cognizant of what their healthcare is, what their healthcare coverage is, what it is for catastrophic, um, and what it is for for BAU, or they should be right. They should be running those scenarios. Um, I think you know, in January, right? There's going to be some regulation around um, transparency and pricing. So I think this is really going to accelerate the idea of consumerism towards uh, in healthcare. So. As we look at more organizations adopting HSAs and high deductible health plans as a, a way of offering health care, people all of a sudden have more out of pocket. So they're going to they're going to be much more aware of what it's going to cost them. That coupled with uh, a government having regulations that say for some kinds of certain services have to be shoppable and you have to post your pricing, and that I think is really going to make consumers uh, smarter and think about the way they buy healthcare or the experience in healthcare should look more like BAU in just the traditional shopping experience. 
So that's really interesting as I think about that, because uh, I, I would agree, uh, number one. Number two is, as we think about how employers are thinking coming out of COVID or, or in the midst of COVID. So we've talked again about switching, being laser focused on costs, looking to make changes to those plans to drive down their costs. It, that's that's one side of the coin. Josh, the second side of the coin is when we when we do studies in the market, we also hear from employees that uh, most are planning to simply select the same benefits that they had last year, which, you know, to Marie's point, really makes no sense in the sort of current context where needs may be very different. And as we think about what employers are offering may be very different. So any advice from your side for consumers, given all of these changes that are happening and given the attitudes of sort of sticking with what you've got as you think about open enrollment for this year? Sure. So it, I think it very much ties to basic human nature. You know, if you look at the last, you know, four or five months, I mean, it is, I think the average person is just overloaded with change, the uncertainty, the unknown. And I think that the natural tendency is just take a step back and almost retract to, I, I want to at least hold on to <laughs> as much or as little as I can that at least I know. And, and even though it does, as you would think, go directly in the face of what we're hearing and what the trends are, which is, you know, employers are, you know, they recognize that costs are going to go up uh, with the rate increases and and they need to make changes. However, even those same employers on the, on the same breath say, gosh, I don't really want to make a change. I don't, I've got so much on my plate given everything COVID related and just trying to maintain my day-to-day businesses that I don't really have the bandwidth to do a deep dive and make all these monumental uh, changes to my plans. But, you know, I think for those employers that are making um, either that switch to the high deductible health plan or looking at more creative plan designs with HRAs in an effort to uh, at least make the, the cost curve more manageable, you know, what we would say from an employer standpoint to educate the employees really is, you know, help, you know, we're helping try and provide as much to as an individualized decision-making process as possible. You know, one of the examples I'll give to that really is is uh, the mobile app that just was rolled out uh, recently that takes a pretty giant leap forward in helping somebody receive, you know, really personalized um, cost-saving recommendations, personalized uh, decision-making resources. Because at the end of the day, you know, it, it, they're, they want somebody just wants somebody to sit them down and say, choose choose door one or choose door two, uh, and 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 they just need that guidance. And I, so I think with what we're seeing in the in from a technology push, you know, whether it's open enrollment tools. I mean, the reality is the the on site open enrollment meetings they're not happening. I, I, we don't have a single group, and I'd argue most would would follow suit that are going to be doing on-site open enrollment meetings this year. And so the technology is having to step in and fill that gap. And while there are certainly resources out there today, 
I'm more than a little excited to see what the next several months holds, because whether they meet that need this open enrollment, I absolutely believe there's going to be some significant development in the next 12 months, uh, as I believe the trends will continue to where on-site meetings may just, they may be going away. Uh, and and this may be driving the change for where whether groups or individuals are finally going to get those um, personalized decision-making tools they've been asking for. So, so Josh, um, if we look at the the data that we've got, about forty percent of consumers are looking for more attractive benefit options this year, and a third are saying they want more resources and support from their employers around the topic of healthcare and navigating uh, for the pandemic. Are there are there things that employers can be doing today to make sure that employees are taking advantage of the of the benefits that are available to them? For us, it was when we talked to our employer groups, it was really something we were going through as well, where we we really had to make sure we had a handle on all the aspects of our plans that maybe were now important to employees that maybe weren't as important previously and doing a better job of helping them understand, you know, what resources were available to them, uh, whether that's, um, you know, some of our mental health programs that we offer up or, you know, once again, the telehealth piece or, you know, all the way down to our vacation time and our vacation policy. So, um, but the way we did that is we, we honestly, we revised our own internal employer site um, through um, SharePoint. And instead of maybe being the daily record or the daily updates, we revised it and added things that were more relevant to the circumstances at hand regarding what our health insurance was and what it was covering and, and aspects of it, was, as I mentioned earlier, that we were now finding were important and we we're getting a lot of questions on. And if I could add one additional thing to that as well, and, and that's one where we've worked with um, employer groups that are, are curious how their plan's being utilized. You know, once again, the FSA, you know, average enrollment in an FSA is around 30 to 35% of a total group population. That's a pretty healthy or, or standard enrollment trend. HSA, uh, similar, similar enrollment percentages, HRA tend to be 100% uh, just based on their overall design. And one of the pieces where I think we've we've always had this ability, but they've leaned on us more as of late, is providing those claim trends back to them as employers. You know, how are you know has anybody used our HRA? Because if they not used their HRA, one of two things have happened: they've either not gone to the doctor at all, or they've not turned in their receipts to get reimbursed. And then from the FSA HSA standpoint, where are the utilization? You know, what is the utilization in terms of what types of procedures are they going and getting? Are they going to the hospital? Are they just going to the, the standard pharmacy? And though we can't give, you know, drill down too far in a participant participant level, that aggregate data is helping those employers better understand, you know, really where some of the gaps might be going into open enrollment so that they can address those uh, from a question standpoint. Based on your conversations, do you think employers are ready for this open enrollment, given given what employees are going to need for support? Um, I, I'd give it a 50-50, uh, to be perfectly honest, because I think that, you know, we think we have a pretty good handle in talking with groups about what employees and participants are going to want to address. Uh, once again, regarding, you know, uh, New plan designs, um, new uh, new offering. You know, the, a lot of it now is because it's been changed quite frequently from what carriers are covering the COVID testing. You know, there for a minute, 
it was covered at 100%. And then they retracted and said, well, now you need to show these three symptoms. And some of that's even been regionally based on a carrier by carrier basis in terms of just simple COVID testing and when it is covered 100% versus when you're going to have to pay a copay um, for that pl- for that procedure. So, um, you know, to your point, are they ready for open enrollment? I, I think as ready as they can possibly be. But I'm certainly keeping an open mind and and we're having regular meetings with some of our top employers getting feedback as they go into um, their open enrollment season starting up in the next week for their the start of their meetings to see what we need to do to help pivot on some of our messaging. And certainly that will help assist us with all of our other groups as well, um, based on the feedback they're getting. Consumer behavior is without a doubt going to look very different moving forward. While spending levels may be getting back to normal, the ways in which we interact with and pay for healthcare have forever been changed. And as we've heard, the expectations employees have of their benefits will be put to the test this coming year. So as we enter open enrollment season and the new plan year, make sure you're having informed, data-backed conversations with your employer groups and consumers. Thanks for listening. Our thanks to Marie from MasterCard and Josh from New Synergy for being part of our first episode and sharing their perspectives. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, our guest, or download the research discussed in this episode, visit allegis.com backslash podcast. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. While you're there, leave a rating or review. We'd really appreciate it. You've been listening to Creating Healthier Futures with Allegis, the industry's leading benefit administration platform. 